A reading from Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing? Yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made, uh, made you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The latter splendor of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Thessalonians. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, He called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, Stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. The word of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, and then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. When the woman also di- finally the woman also died. 
In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. And Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in that resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not, he is God, not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. You know, there's this part of our Bible in the Episcopal Church, the way it's organized, we have the, the, the oldest parts are from what we call the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, and those come first. And of course, the newest parts, historically, are from what we call the Christian Bible or the New Testament, those come in the back. But you know, in the Episcopal Church, there's some books in the middle. They're called the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha are books written between those two testamental periods. So we're imagining our head sometime between 167 before the Common Era, B.C., B.C.E., and 50 A.D., 50 Common Era, right? And these books were never considered to be inspired at the same level, but they've always been kept in our Bible. And one of those books is called Tobit. Now, I'm going somewhere, I promise. Uh, the book of Tobit actually has the story to which the Sadducees are referring. Anybody read Tobit before? Just down of curiosity. There's two, three. This is great. Okay, so let me tell you. This is a delightful story, especially if you're a teenager. Um, there's Tobit, who's a good guy, and he's looking for a good wife. And there's a lady who seems like she'll be a great wife, except she's been married six times before. Unbeknownst to all of her previous grooms, there's a demon inside of her who on the night of her wedding celebration kills the groom before the wedding can be consummated. This has happened six times in a row. People are starting to become reticent to marry the woman. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. And, and so Tobit uh, has this sort of divine inspiration to do it and the real difference is that he goes fishing and with the help of an angelic guide catches a particular fish and cuts out the gallbladder. The night of the wedding, Tobit burns the gallbladder as incense. The smell is so bad that the demon flees the woman to Egypt where it is bound by the archangel Raphael and it ends up being really happy. Now, this story was in circulation at the time of Jesus. By the way, Tobit was related to those other six guys. Um, this story was in circulation. And there's a group of Jewish leaders called the Sadducees, who, as the gospel told us, don't believe in any resurrection. In fact, maybe it's helpful to tell you what they did believe in, because it will not take me very long. They believed in Scripture being only in the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
They believed that the only thing religion required of you was to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. Smells, bells, incense, butchering animals, and them being, of course, in control of the temple. Religion had no effect on your daily life except that it required you to pay the temple tax every year and it required you bless animals that you intended to eat. These are the Sadducees. There's no resurrection. Why would you need that? There's just a temple and this is what you do. And so the Sadducees are coming up to Jesus to mock him. They don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in this book, Tobit, being anything important. And so they use it to ask really a ridiculous question of Jesus. Jesus, we all know that a woman belongs is the property of her husband. So, resurrection. We come back to life. Who owns the woman? It's pretty logical as a question. You can see how they thought they were really going to get away with one here, you know. And Jesus' answer, really, you know, sometimes you can read it and you can say, what do you mean there's no marriage in heaven? Some people might think that's great. Uh, <laughs> but that would be disappointing for many of the rest of us, right? Uh, Jesus isn't saying that, actually. What Jesus is saying in response to the Sadducees is that larger life, which is what God is imagining for us, is in fact larger than the life we're used to. The Sadducees imagine that resurrection, that what God does with us in the end looks so much like this, that they come up with the most ridiculous of scenarios. And Jesus' reply is, look at the resurrection, women aren't property. No one owns that woman. She is herself. This is the ministry, you see, of the saints. The saints are those people who have insight into larger life. They realize God can accomplish this after we're dead, but they also realize that if we're willing, God can accomplish this in our lives right now. And so what Jesus tells the Sadducees is not only are they wrong, about what God is able to do later, they're wrong about what God intends to do right now. God's intention, says Jesus right now, is that women are not shadow, they are not property, they are full citizens in God's family. That's the ministry of the saints. He goes on, really, to rub, to rub it in a little bit better. Notice he uses a quote that comes out of one of the first five books of the Bible. It comes from Exodus, where Moses goes to the burning bush. And in fact, if you read Genesis and Exodus, every time God talks to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses, God says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and you know, it's a little more nuanced than that in Hebrew. Anytime you see the verb to be, as in I am, I was, I will be, particularly when it's talking about God's action, all three tenses, past, present, or future, are being implied. God is not just saying, I am the God of Abraham. God is saying, I was, I am, and I will be. I will continue to be the God of Abraham. I was, I am, today, and I will continue to be the God of Isaac. And so Jesus' reply, this is amazing, isn't it, is that God is not the God of the dead, 
because the essence of our faith says life is not ended in the Lord, it is changed. No one is dead to God. And it's all saints' day. And saint is one of those words, right, that's become really, really loaded. And of course, in biblical speak, the word is holy ones. Holy ones. And we often think, well, you could only be holy in retrospect, right? You have to have lots of merit. Like St. Thomas, his merit was doubting, right? <laughs> this is just important to remember, right? Holy ones, people who are set apart. That's what it means biblically. And, you know, sometimes we forget that much of the New Testament was addressed to saints in different locations. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians says, to the saints in Ephesus. And Paul, of course, is not writing to people who have entered larger life already. He's, he's writing to people like you and me who can hear and can, who can be inspired to be the holy ones God intends them to be. And so saints really are just like the Renaissance art that you've seen, no doubt, of, Saint, of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. Has anybody seen that? Anytime John is in a picture with Jesus, John points at him. Saints are people who point us to God, living or dead. And that means, I think, when Jesus talks to the Sadducees and as we consider saints, the thing that he's inviting us to consider is that not only is no one dead to God, but we have an opportunity to do actions on earth whose consequences are eternal. We are able to do things on a daily basis that though apparently temporal, are limitless. And I don't just mean our prayers. I want you to consider who the saints in your life are. Again, because of the day and because we're going to light these candles in a second, we're going to do that, right? Because we're not seeing the light of the saints like we used to every day in front of us. Today's a reminder that the light didn't go out People like Jim Needler's light will not go out because being a full-time NASA employee and a full-time father and a Cub Scout and a full-time patron of collections for food and clothing at St. Thomas, which Jim did, those things will never die because they led other people into larger life, you see. Do the saints make mistakes? Do they sometimes go from pointing like that to pointing like this? Of course they do. Isn't that the message of the Bible? God works with terribly flawed people and does wonderful things anyway. And in the middle of our being flawed, we have this opportunity to remember that there is to be a larger life and we don't have to wait to invite other people into it. And that's as much the story in Haggai today. In Haggai, the temple had been destroyed, burned to the ground by the Babylonians in the year 590 or 587, depending which book you read. And people had been exiled to Babylon and now they're allowed to come back and rebuild the temple. It's a temple they'd never even seen, but their parents told them how good it was. And in Haggai, they're building this temple of their parents' dreams. And it is woefully inadequate. It's 
more like a shack than a temple. And so they're rather discouraged. And Haggai says, it is not the appearance of the temple that is the Lord who fills it and makes it holy. And isn't that the testimony of the saints in your life? If you're like me, you've had days where your life resembled a shack instead of the dreams of your parents or the dreams your parents taught you to dream. And there was a saint, Christian or not, who said, God is not finished with you. Maybe they didn't say it in words. Maybe they did something like my saintly mother, who was a math teacher for 30 years. Maybe they did things like graded your papers the day you turned them in and gave them back with comments and real encouragement and showed you where you had gone wrong and how you could have fixed it in enough time that you could learn the lesson. And they did that day in and day out quietly and in so doing showed you mattered to them. You were worth it to them to spend their nights up late, to spend their mornings up early. Saints come in many sizes, right? They come in many sizes. They come in people like Jesus saying, women won't be property. They come in people like Martin Luther King Jr. saying, God's got something bigger for us than we're living. They even come on people who are spiritually gifted, if nothing else, with the ability to say no. Like Rosa Parks, who just said no. And they come in people who say nothing and show with their faithfulness in ordinary things an entry into God's imagine, which is extraordinary. And we are called to be saints. In fact, maybe we're called to something a little more difficult than that. We're called to recognize that we already are. And precisely because we are, because we have all, at least at one point in our life, pointed someone else to a larger life, maybe even with just a handshake or a good morning, honestly, we can do it more often than we do. In fact, we're getting ready to baptize a new member of the family of God here, and we're going to make promises, it turns out, the family will, and we will too. We're going to say something like that we will do everything in our power to help her, <laughs> even against her will, we're going to do this, <laughs> to grow into the larger life that God intends. And you know, really what we're saying is we are going to point you to God. We promise, even though we don't know you, some of us don't know, that we will try to point you with God. And isn't that really the amazing thing that God can do? God can use people we've never even met to point us to God. And we're going to say, we'll try that. We'll try that. And then we're going to remember the people whose light is no longer directly before us, you know, because what we say is, in the, in the Lord, life isn't ended, but it's changed so that I never put out someone's light. I just change it into smoke. We're going to relight their lights when we, when we celebrate the saints who are no longer before us. And then we're going to maybe do 
one of the neatest things of all is we're going to bless your pledges to be saints. That sounds trite, but pledging your time at the nearly new thrift shop is a temporal pledge that leads to eternal larger life. That's the essence of our faith. The bringing Eucharist to people who cannot be with us on Sunday morning. Oh, it takes 20 minutes. Maybe it takes an hour, depending who you visit. It'll take an hour with Nancy. It'll take an hour with Nancy, yeah. That's temporal, but it's eternal. Because for those 20 minutes or for that hour, we are saying with our lives and with our bodies and our minds and our practice, you are part of God's family and you matter. And there is nothing temporal about that message. And of course, we swing this smoke around. We're going to swing it over those cards too to remind us that the saints, living and dead, that our saintly choices that never die in the Lord, in fact, create a pleasant aroma. Hopefully you like it. But certainly do rise. And allow us this opportunity to rise into larger life right now. So with that before us, let me invite your family. Come on up here. She is ready to be baptized, apparently. <laughs> Bring your